0: Hello, and welcome to the Multiple Sclerosis Association of America's podcast, Caring for the Care Partner. I am Peter Demiri, Senior Director of Content Development for MSAA, and your host for today's program. Today's program is part of MSAA's MS Awareness Month campaign, Spotlighting Improving Mental Health and Wellness. I am honored to welcome our guest presenter, Dr. Amy Sullivan. Dr. Sullivan is a board-certified staff clinical health psychologist and the Director of Behavioral Medicine at the Mellon Center for MS Treatment and Research at the Cleveland Clinic. Her clinical interests focus on individual, family, and group work with patients and family members affected by multiple sclerosis. Dr. Sullivan, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us today. Thanks
1: so much, Peter. I'm so glad to be here to discuss this important topic.
0: Thank you. Well, our theme for MS Awareness Month this year is improving mental health and wellness, which is so important in managing MS, especially given the stress and anxiety brought on by the COVID-19 pandemic. And certainly, this affects people living with MS and their care partners. So before we talk more about the role of a care partner, can you touch on the importance of overall wellness, both physical and emotional, in the management of MS?
1: absolutely Peter so I think it's really important to bring in what you just talked about which is the pandemic so in a time like right now I think we need to really focus on how important um, having overall wellness is during a time of physical concerns but I am more more concerned with the mental health concerns and um, as I've said frequently i feel like this may even be at a crisis level for mental health infected just just saw an article today talking about the increases in uh, depression with COVID patients, um, as well as um, we've seen many articles um, citing that, you know, mental health concerns have increased. So uh, this pandemic and this time that we're in is contributing to a lot of uncertainty, certainly due to the chronicity of the pandemic, but also um, because of, you know, thoughts about the vaccine, getting it, not getting it, um, having the availability to it, um, certainly Uh, Many of us have dealt with loneliness and isolation, which also contribute to um, mental health uh, needs and the need for us to to take this very seriously. So for my patients, there's just a, a multitude of factors, I feel, that are influencing their overall health and well-being. Um, when we look at their overall well-being, I think it's important to understand that wellness is multifaceted. So when we say multifaceted, it looks like having wellness in several different areas. One is physical activity is something that we're, we're all very aware of. Another is nutrition or having a healthy diet. Um, one that I'm very passionate about and that we will speak a lot about is mental health or managing stress. Um, another is sleep and making sure that we're resting, relaxing and recovering. Another is having a, a routine. Um, and then finally, spirituality, if that's something that um, is important to somebody. All of these contribute to our well-being and our wellness. And so uh, I guess one of the things that I want to stress is that this is certainly important for everyone, but especially for our care partners, um, because our care partners are at risk for not only, you know, Burnout, you know, we really have to make sure that they're taking care of themselves because they're so focused on the care partner.
0: Yes, exactly. Those are great points. Thank you. Yeah. So moving into our topic, can you describe what is meant by being a care partner? Absolutely.
1: Um, so by definition, a care
0: partner is an individual who helps with
1: physical and psychological care for a person in need. Um, some of the things that I think are important for us to remember is that it's often a family member. Um, so it could be a spouse or a partner or a child or a parent providing the role of the care partner, as well as being in the care, um, needing the care role. Um, the care partner provides a wide variety of assistance for activities of daily living, including bathing, toileting, um, dressing, transferring, uh, cooking, eating, meds, uh, doctor's appointments, et cetera. And I'd just like to share a couple of statistics with you, if that's okay. Sure. So 66% of care partners are females, and 65% of care recipients are females. Um, mm. the, isn't that interesting? There's, there's a, yeah. yeah. Um, and then this is, this is something that I found interesting too. The care partner generally doesn't do less than 20 hours a week in their role. And many of them also have jobs. And what we have to remember is that the care partner is typically unpaid. So, some staggering statistics uh, regarding uh, the care partner. Um, in addition, I think it's important to talk about the fact that caring for someone, so being a care partner, can be profoundly fulfilling um, as individuals will generally move closer together uh, when challenges arise, but it can also be very daunting and even challenging due to the chronic nature of the disease in some cases. And so um, That, you know, I thought that was, that was interesting to point out.
0: Yes, very insightful. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. And if I could just mention one more thing about the care partner is that um, when we think about uh, caring for somebody, you know, one of the things that comes up frequently in the literature is caregiver burden. And so caregiver burden is this multidimensional response to the physical, psychological, emotional, social and financial stressors associated with uh, caregiving.
0: So, these are great points, and uh, as we know, MS is very unpredictable with many stages. Uh, given this, would you say there are different stages of being a care partner as well? Absolutely.
1: Um, so I think we have to think about the natural ebb and flow of life, and that is taking care of infants and elderly, and that's just kind of what you know human beings do. But when we think about the care of an adult with a chronic disease, just like you said, it's it can be unpredictable um, and unexpected. And so most chronic diseases are unpredictable, as you stated. So each family I think is going to have their own unique reaction to the disease as well as how their life is impacted. So when we think about family identities or how a family displays um, their values, I think we have to understand that the family identity um, may shift, the family rhythm shift, um, and we call this role reversal in my field. Um, And so role reversal looks like a working spouse coming home to to now uh, stay home or, or care for somebody at home, or... Uh, a stay-at-home parent now or partner now going into the work workforce, or a child taking on some nursing responsibility roles. Um, And so I think it's important that we recognize that all of these role reversals can present challenges. So in many ways, a family will benefit from progressing through a grief process. And when we think about the grief process, um, you know, we think about grief and the changes of the family identity or the life as the person once knew it. And Kubler-Ross is uh, um, is somebody that I really um, follow. She's well known for her work on grief and acceptance. And um, I really like her work. And so what she talks about is how a family may engage in changes. And then there's several emotional reactions that follow that. And the emotional reactions vary from each person. The the cycle is not chronological, but it can look something like, you know, somebody having shock or denial or anger or bargaining or depression and eventually moving into acceptance. And uh, for me, I don't really like the word acceptance. I like the word adaptation, which means that there's still a lot more that a person can do. We have to adapt to our environment instead of Accept the environment. I think acceptance is right. kind of passive versus uh, an active. Um, but again, it's not chronological, and no one person is going to uh, progress through a, a stage that is, um, you know, it's it's all unique to each person.
0: Right. Absolutely. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the needs of a care partner. In your writings, you mentioned the term trifecta of self-care. Can you elaborate further on this? Absolutely.
1: So when I think about the trifecta of self-care, I think about how healthy relationships are successful only when they're reciprocal and, and mutual. And, and we think about that in all relationships, you know, a, a significant other. Um, I think is, it's really important that we, we think about reciprocal and mutual relationships. And so In this case, um, the person that's being cared for or the MS person may have significant needs, but so does the care partner. I think that we really have to focus on uh, the needs of the care partner. So the trifecta of self-care is really looking at those needs of the care partner, and it involves three important aspects. One is the emotional support. So when we think about caregiving, we know that it can cause really a plethora of mood symptoms. Um, maybe feelings of sadness, grief, loss—all of these are very common to the needs of our um, of our uh, care partners. And I think it's very common, therefore, for our care partners to need mental health help, but it's very uncommon for them to seek that help out. And I think it's really important that we talk about this because if, you know, a care partner is not taking care of their own mental health needs, they're not going to be able to take care of anybody else. Right. Yeah, so the second part is um, wellness activities. So engaging in wellness behaviors, such as what we talked about before, kind of those pillars of wellness include activity, nutrition, sleep, mental health, uh, spirituality, and and having some sort of routine. Um, What we know about about engaging in well-being activities is that it really enhances the overall health, um, both physically and mentally of the individual. And then finally, caregiving essentials. Um, so the trifecta, I think, is, is so important because it mentions all of these different um all of these different components to, to being um uh, to providing care. Um, so caregiving essentials is um, you know, most people come into a caregiving role with really little to, to no previous knowledge of, of these skills. And so it may take um, a little bit of time for them to learn um, about an approach or how to be a, a caregiver. And so when we think about these essentials, I think it's important to learn how to do the role. And organizations such as yourself are great resources for the care partner, um, as is the neurology office. And then you know, many neurology offices are partnered with um, behavioral medicine services, such as myself. And I know in my practice, we offer a caregiving group just for the caregiver. So, um, you know, again, I think it's really important to take care of um, the individual who's in the caregiving role.
0: Thank you for that. Dr. Sullivan, I was reading your chapter about the caregiving career. Can you talk more about that?
1: Absolutely, Peter. So um, when we think about the caregiving career, this is really a philosophical model of, of caring that that I like. And this is described by Lindegren. Um, so it has three phases. And the first is called the encounter phase. And this is where the individual confronts the diagnosis. They grieve the loss of their previous life or the, their future dreams. And in this phase, new skills are acquired. The second part of this phase is called the enduring phase, and this is where the care partner is submerged in the role, often to the detriment of their own health. So the key to this stage is learning how to cope with the isolation, the grief, and how do they still maintain their own identity and their own health um, as changes to life dreams are occurring. And then finally is the exit phase. And this is where the care partner's role is relinquished after uh, either a death or institutionalization of the patient. And in this role, there can be significant grief uh, to the loss of their partner or the caregiving role, but there may also be some relief to um, not having to to do all of the caregiving uh, roles. And these are all very normal responses, both the grief and having some relief. And so, Um, I really liked this model of caregiving um, called the caregiving career.
0: Well, that's great information. Thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. Unfortunately, we often hear about the realities of care partner burnout. Do you have any guidance or suggestions on possible ways to avoid this burnout? Absolutely. So when we think
1: about caregiver burden, I, again, I think it's really important to look at the multi-dimensional facts of it. Um, so it's both physical and psychological. Um, and so I think when we think about it, I think it's important to talk about first maybe the economic burden. So when we were speaking earlier, um, we noticed that no less than 20 hours are devoted to this care partnering role. Um, I, I think that's staggering because most individuals that are in a care partnering role are also working. Um, when, we, when we look at the literature, the care partner is more than two and a half times as likely to live in poverty Uh, The average family that's in a caregiving role spends about $5,500 in out-of-pocket expenses um, a year, and that's about 10% of the median income. Mm. And, right, isn't that something that I think is staggering for us to think about? Um, But, you know, care partnering reaches far beyond economics and it may have impact on their health as well. Um, Many um, individuals that are in care partnering roles have increases in stress, increases in stress hormones. Um, Some of this may lead to increases in blood pressure, increases in glucose and weakened immune system. Um, And this effect can actually be seen up to three years post caregiving role. And then the literature also shows us that about 70% of care partners forgo their own health and appointments. And in addition, most don't participate in those general, general uh, well-being practices that we have focused so much on today, which are those nutrition, those activities, those stress management types of things. Um, and so the care partner is at greater risk for physical and psychological illness.
0: Yeah, uh, excellent points, and and it does make sense that the, the care partner is so focused on providing the care that they're not paying attention to their own health needs and and physical and emotional needs as well, right? Absolutely, yeah. And and you mentioned about taking time for yourself and and uh, you know other activities, maybe taking some quiet time, reading a book, uh, going for a walk. I would imagine there some of the the tips and suggestions you know that would help. Uh, the care partners as well.
1: Yeah. And um, when, when I think about the tips that I provide to individuals with that are in caregiving role, I think it's all individualized. And so each person is going to respond to their own kind of stress management um, techniques and, and what, helps them. Um, but in a chapter that I wrote that was published um, by Ray Grant, um, Dr. Ray Grant, Dr. Fox, and Dr. B2 at the Mellon Center, um, I did uh, come up with some caregiving um, tips and to avoid burnout. And I wondered if you wanted to hear some of those.
0: Yeah, that would be fantastic. Thank you.
1: Yeah. So the first one that I suggest is really becoming educated about MS or whatever the disease is that the individual is um, taking care of. Um, and so I think, you know, the more one knows about the disease the more empowered one will feel and the more comfortable they'll feel in these role changes. So um, when they're at the neurology office asking as many questions as they need and remembering that no question is a stupid question, they're all just really important questions. Second, as you mentioned, is taking care of yourself. So, uh, this brings us to what the airline stewardess says, and that is, um, you know, in the event of an emergency, if the oxygen masks fall, it's important to put on your own oxygen mask first before helping those around you. And um, I think this philosophy is perfect for caregiving. It's it, If you're having unhealthy emotions or uh, you're physically unhealthy or spiritually unhealthy, I think... Um, you're gonna be of really uh, less help to somebody else. Third is to practice healthy living. So it's really focused kind of on that that wellness approach that we've talked about today. So making sure that your nutrition is healthy, making sure that you're exercising or or just plain having some activity, uh, making sure that you're involved in your own interests. Fourth is staying social. So connecting with others in similar situations is very powerful. Uh, Because you no longer feel isolated and you can learn from others. And that's why the caregiving support group that we offer at the Mellon Center is so incredibly uh, successful and helpful because um, they're able to kind of normalize their behaviors, learn from others and meet people who are in similar situations uh, like them. Five is accepting help. And I remember when I was uh, when we first had children, um, this was something that was that was really uh, told to us. And I think this applies throughout the lifespan. So accepting help, it's really difficult to ask for help from others. But realizing that you need a break um, and that others really want to help you and um, making sure that you're not the only one burdening uh, everything in, in the caregiving role. Six is acknowledging your emotions. So if you're feeling hopeless, worthless, helpless, sad, anxious, fearful, whatever it may be, making sure that you acknowledge these and also realizing that these are normal emotions and reactions to the situation. And seven is allowing for healthy expression of your feelings with each other. So um, just because you're now a care partner doesn't take away uh, the relationship that you had in the past, you're still a spouse or a parent or a child, etc., and that comes with the responsibilities to speak respectfully and open. Eight is allowing for a caregiving holiday, so this simply means take, taking some time away. Um, you're a better care partner if your loved one, um, if you're able, what to your loved one if you're able to take some time away. And nine is encouraging healthy independence of your of your loved ones to helping the loved one to be as independent as he or she can for as long as they can, um, knowing that this may involve assistances or devices or new technologies and making sure you're seeking those out. And then finally 10 is seeking help through local organizations such as yourself, uh, Peter with the MSAA. Um, and I think that these are places where we can get uh, help and information and, um, you know, just really needing some guidance towards available resources.
0: Well, that's great information. Thank you for that. Well, Dr. Sullivan, you have provided such great information and helpful insights today on this extremely important topic. As we wrap up our program, what are some of the key takeaway messages you want to leave with our audience today?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks so much for having me to talk about this important uh, uh, topic. And I think one of the things that I always like to to Um, stress is that I think it's important to normalize that we have mental health needs um, and getting that mental health help. So like I said, it's very common for somebody to have mental health needs, but it's uncommon for uh, especially care partners to seek that help. Um, I also know that as we discussed today, there are significant rewards and challenges of providing care. Um, and there's that risk to being overburdened. And with overburden comes some significant challenges to our physical and emotional health, um, which really is concerning because if the individual in the care partnering role neglects their own physical or mental health care, they really can't be available to the person that they're caring for uh, if they're not healthy. And so I really can't stress enough how important it is to take care of yourself throughout this process. And again, using that airline steward analogy um, as a goal, and that's that, you know, in the event of an emergency, if the oxygen mask falls, please put on your mask first before helping someone else. And we should really all aspire for this because if we can't take care of ourselves, we really are not going to be valuable or helpful to anyone else. Um, And then finally, in the field of MS, I think we're lucky to have such excellent resources um, and help of the MSAA and different organizations where individuals can really reach out for help um, so that they know that they don't have to do this alone.
0: Well, thank you for that. Appreciate it. That's such great advice. And we really do appreciate your time and your expertise here today. So this concludes our podcast, Caring for the Care Partner. On behalf of MSAA, I would like to once again thank Dr. Amy Sullivan for her helpful knowledge and insights on this topic and thank Gradwell House Recording for hosting us today and producing the program. Please note this podcast along with additional information on multiple sclerosis can be found on our website at mymsaa.org. Once again, thank you for listening.